Well, here we are on what is normally a sermon recorded from Tuesday nights. However, we had a little snafu this week, and mm-hmm. we lost the audio. A happy so, accident. A happy exactly. accident. Because now we get to sit here and talk about the sermon. Yeah, we can pick it apart. And people get three opinions on God's word, not Ooh. just one. Man, I like three that. So, so who do we have here? This is this is Thomas Nelson. This is Will Carlisle. And Katie Dickens. Oh, this is exciting. So we have <laughs> we have uh, our worship leader, our new young adult associate, Katie, and then we got me. Um, and so I'm pumped. Oh, yeah. So excited. Honored. So, y'all, we, we've been in this series on Jesus in the Exodus where we're looking at the Exodus story and then drawing parallels to how um, it fits the overall biblical narrative, certainly how Christ fulfills and answers so many things and even mirrors things in the Exodus story. Um, but this week we bit off a lot. We went from Exodus chapter 4 all the way up through Exodus chapter 12, which encompasses all the plagues, all the plagues. So here's how I think we ought to dissect this. I think we ought to zip through the 10 plagues. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly we cannot do all 10 justice, but we'll zip through those plagues Um and then I think we'll maybe come across some really interesting things that uh, if you weren't there Tuesday night, you you missed that I think you'll think, wow, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then let's get into some application. Sounds uh, like a plan. Sound, sound good? Sounds Thomas, great. That sounds great. Okay, cool. So <laughs> Exodus 4, this is where um, Moses is given the signs that he's going to bring to Pharaoh. And then Exodus 4, Moses returns to Egypt. There is one little verse that I did not bring up the other night that's so interesting. Exodus 4, 24. At a lodging place on the way, so Moses is heading to Egypt now with his wife and newborn baby, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Yeah, I read that a couple of weeks ago in my reading plan, and I've read it, I mean, like every year, but... It's such a strange moment of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, we should, we could have done a whole sermon on that. Yeah. Like, and the Lord sought to put him to death. Yeah. So, you know, the story, his, his son had not been circumcised mm-hmm. and that was a command given all the way back in the days of Abraham yeah. and to mark God's people, the males were circumcised. Yeah. And it was a physical representation of what the Lord does to a regenerate heart. He, he circumcises the heart. And so anyway, he didn't do that to his son. So God was going to put him to death. And his wife mm-hmm. picks up a flint, circumcises the son, not to be graphic, but to be biblical. She throws the foreskin at him and calls him a bridegroom of blood. Here's the deal. Does Heather ever call you a a bridegroom of blood? No, thank the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. You know, here's, here's, to me, this is kind of the the little teaching moment here. Moses was anointed by God, called by God to Mm -hmm. do this incredible task, go before Pharaoh, lead the people out, teach them how to worship him. Incredible task. But Moses couldn't skip God's steps along the way. Mm -hmm. He He did not get a hall pass for unrighteous behavior. Yeah. Like he, he had still had to follow the Lord himself Mm -hmm. and he didn't do it in this moment. He, he was just too busy and too important. Maybe it is interesting. Like, cause Moses definitely would have been circumcised 
right? Yeah. yeah. And that would have, I mean, that was like a huge differentiating thing yeah. back then. And so there's some volitional choice there of, um, yeah, like almost cutting a corner or something. Yeah. It's just an interesting little verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Kind of haunting. That's one for like you to just mark in your Bibles and say, I'm going to go back and do a little research. There's some, mm-hmm. I'm sure you can do some great research on yeah. that. Okay. So we got to, we got to plug away though. So that's chapter four, chapter five. Uh, that's where Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh. They say that the Lord Yahweh says to let my people go and to go feast in the wilderness. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh that I should do what he says? And you would think the Lord would step in there and do this incredible act to free the people, but he lets Pharaoh go. He lets Pharaoh talk. He lets Pharaoh kind of wallow in his, um, in, in his egocentric ways. And he also begins to tell the, the, the Egyptians who are over the Israelites, don't give them any more straw for their bricks, make them make just as many bricks, but they also have to get the straw as well. To the point that at the very end of chapter 5 in verse 19, it says, The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge you because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword to their hand to kill us. Moses then turned to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. So Moses goes in to set the people free and then things get worse for the people. Mm-hmm. Any just quick little thoughts on that from an application standpoint? You have to feel bad for Moses. <laughs> he didn't want to be there in the first place. That's right. And you know now he looks terrible. And um, you know I just Moses is such a shameful person. Like this whole first half of his story, because mm-hmm. he kind of grows up. His racial identity is completely skewed because. Hebrews don't want to have anything to do with like the, you know, Egyptian prince and the Egyptians don't want anything to do with the Hebrew and Pharaoh hates him. And poor guy. So, yeah. So (laughs) then he, he tries to like getting good with the Hebrews when he, or with the Israelites. Yeah. Don't worry. God sent me to let you people go. Well, I'm talking about even went before he left. That's right. And then he, so then they kind of drive him off. He he goes away. And I think time back that story of him not circumcising his son, he doesn't he doesn't want to have anything to do with this. You know, like he he kind of just wants to leave the whole Hebrew God and, and the people behind. He just wants to stay in his anonymous life. And, you know, here God sends him back and now it's just a crap shoot. <laughs> it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a mess, but he's trying to do the right thing now. He's yes. trying to be God's yeah. man yeah. and it doesn't, it's not going real smooth. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever had a moment like that, Katie, where you're like, all right, I'm going to yes. do the things of the Lord. And it's like, it just gets harder. <laughs> yes. 100%. I think from a practical application standpoint, when you think about Moses's life, 
and all that he accomplishes that he I mean, I just think of the picture of him with his face shining after being in the presence of the Lord, all the Mm -hmm. incredible things that the Lord is going to use him to do and bring to pass. But then you still have these little moments along the way. And then even when he's in the wilderness with the Israelites, we see him continuing to go back to the Lord and, you know, why, why have you brought me here? And, you know, him just really bearing the burdens of these people. So I think, you know, just going back to application that when you are being faithful and you're doing what the Lord has called you to do, that doesn't mean that life is going to be easy and that it's going to be just an upward hill and everything's going to be great. There's still going to be those ups and downs and you're going to feel disappointed and feel confused. But I think resting in the Lord's promises and knowing that, you know, hindsight 2020, when you look back, you're going to be grateful for those trials and grateful that you were being faithful in what he called you to. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's spot on that we, we would call it in probably modern terms of uh, and biblical terms as well, a testing of your faith. Mm-hmm. Just the, they're, the tests are hard. Mm-hmm. And when you're following the Lord, it, it doesn't mean everything's just going to be so easy and simple mm-hmm. and wonderful. There will come times that you think, is this right? Mm-hmm. Why? I feel like it should be smoother. I feel like it should be easier. That doesn't mean we throw in the towel. That doesn't mean we walk away. Mm-hmm. And Moses doesn't. And that's to his credit. He trusts God more than his circumstances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we get into, uh, we're about to get into the start of the plagues. There is one more chapter before it starts. That's chapter six. Um, in chapter six at the start, it's so good. I'm just not going to read it because we don't have time. But in chapter six at the start, the Lord assures Moses he's going to deliver the people. He's answering his prayer from the end of chapter five. He also says, by the way, I didn't introduce myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I introduced myself to you by name. So trust mm-hmm. me, Moses. And mm. then in chapter six, uh, all the way down in verse 20, we have this genealogy of Moses, which seems so strange to put in there, but nonetheless, it's in there. And whenever there's a genealogy, I most always challenge myself to read it and see mm-hmm. if anything jumps off the page. And it did yeah. this time. Verse 20, Amram took as his wife, Jacob, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137. So very interesting that it's, we know we're told Aaron and Moses are brothers. But if you think about it, like, like are they really brothers? Like really same mom? Because Moses had to float down the Nile. What about Aaron? So mm-hmm. it seems like Aaron was born just early enough yeah. That he missed the king's or the, the Pharaoh's edict that all the yeah. firstborn son or all the sons should die. Yeah. And so he escapes that. So he grows up Hebrew. Yeah. Meanwhile, his brother floats down the Nile, bumps into uh, Pharaoh's daughter, and becomes the prince of Egypt. You couldn't be raised any more different. Mm-hmm. And now they're reunited after all these years. Yeah. I think it's a sweet story. I think there's a whole nother story. That could be like a. That could be like The Hobbit. It could be like a yeah. whole separate book <laughs> written yeah. written about like their, their journeys. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, just to move forward. So now let's go to these plagues. Mm. Uh, trivia question, without looking at your Bibles, anybody remember the first plague? Nile to blood. Mm-hmm. That's right. So starting in verse 14 of 7, 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Uh, And then verse 19, And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff, stretch your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all the pools of the water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in the vessels of stone. I have a water bottle sitting on the desk here. When Moses did that, even their like water containers in their houses turned to blood. So very interesting. First one is water to blood. Uh, do you remember any 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 other interesting things like magicians and? Yeah, they they are able to recreate mm-hmm. it. The magicians of Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. The first plague. Moses comes in, everybody's thinking, okay, here's the big show. Mm. Moses is probably thinking, here's the big show. Even though the Lord told him, Pharaoh's Mm. heart's going to be hard and he's not going to want to let you go. And then, boom, Pharaoh's guys Mm. are like, oh, we can do the same thing. Mm. (laughs) Kind of (laughs) anticlimactic. It kind of reminds me of like when the Lord does something really spectacular in your life, you know, like an amazing testimony. And then you start to sort of like rationalize it by like, oh, well, like that might have been the hand of God, but it also could have just been, you know, like chance or like whatever. You know, I think I've had more Christians do that than like non-Christian friends. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Something incredible happens Mm. and you're like, man, that was the Lord. And then you kind of get talked off the ledge and you're like, maybe it wasn't. Yeah. Maybe it was just my hard work or maybe it was just like, you know good things happen to everybody. Mm. But yeah, but this is, this was the hand of God and yet the evil guys could produce the same miracle. Yeah. Um, Katie, any thoughts on that one? I don't think on this first one. Okay. Well then let's, let's jump on to the second one, the second, the second one. Easy easy for me to say the second one. Uh, Anybody remember the second one? I'm looking at a list. I, I did look. Frogs. Oh, okay. Never yeah, mind. All right. At home, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> the second one is frogs. Grab your scorecard. <laughs> That's right. The second one is uh, is frogs. And so it says in verse three, the Nile shall swarm with frogs. They shall come up into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants and your people, and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on your servants. Frogs everywhere, like up to your eyeballs, frogs. Mm. I don't mind frogs. I don't know that I want to like have to wade through them. Nah. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no. We don't want like to pull the frozen pizza out of the freezer, put it in the oven and be like, well, I guess I'll have frog legs on it. Like no. we just don't want that. Nope. Yeah. And then there's verse seven. Let's have a different voice. Katie, do you see chapter eight, verse seven? Yes. Read that to us. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Wah, wah, wah. Like, Again. here we go. Yep. Second plague. Mm-hmm. This is it. The people are going to be let go because God's going to do this incredible plague on the people. Mm-hmm. Pharaoh's going to get scared. Let him go. And then the magicians do the same one. Yep. Yep. Okay. <laughs> if you're Moses at this point, are you like, for real? Can you, do you have any other tricks? Yeah. <laughs> like, 
I mean, what do you what do you think what are you thinking if you're Moses at this point? Yeah. I don't know. Man, I mean <laughs> Yeah. I, I think I feel like the constant inner battle is he's trying to be faithful, mm-hmm. but that there's gotta be that voice that's like, Why did you ever send me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if Moses, because he's he's still fairly new in the grand scheme of things, and and from what we know of in his walk with God, his knowledge of God, mm-hmm. I just wonder if he's thinking maybe this God is like a little bit stronger, maybe than Pharaoh's mm-hmm. magicians can conjure up. I sh- I don't know. I yeah. wonder what he's thinking here. I don't know mm-hmm. that for sure. Yeah. Um, but. Then we get to the third plague, and mm-hmm. we're going to bust through these pretty quick. We get to the plague. This is the gnats. Mm-hmm. Um, at the gnats, uh, Moses, the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch your hand, your staff, and strike the dust of the earth. That word dust mm-hmm. is going to be important in a couple of minutes, so mm-hmm. that it may become gnats in all the land. Mm-hmm. This So there's gnats everywhere, yep. which if you've been in gnat territory, that's gross. And then verse 18, the magicians try to do the same thing. I'm paraphrasing this, but they could not. So -hmm. there were gnats on man and beast. Mm. Then the magicians, verse 19, say to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Mm -hmm. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord said. Moving on, we have a fourth plague. It's another flying creature. It's flies. And so the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh and say, let my people go or else I'm going to send flies on everybody. Again, if you're following along in chapter eight, I'm in verse uh, 20 and and on and I'm I'm paraphrasing here. And what happens is there is an incredible uh, covering of flies all over the place, except where the people of of Israel live. Mm. Now, Real quick, and we really do need to bust through these plagues pretty quick after this. But, Will, you said something a minute ago I thought was interesting. It seemed like everybody, Egyptians and Hebrews, had to deal with the blood in the Nile, had to deal with the frogs. Uh, But when you get to this fourth plague, the flies, the Hebrews did not have to deal with them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the people of Egypt did. Yeah. What's the thought on that? Yeah. And I think that's something, especially when we get to kind of like the application territory we really see how that can play out but we begin to get this idea where though sometimes the people of god living in close proximity to wickedness as we do on earth sometimes we bear unjust or unfair you know consequences of sin Uh, And it's not our sin. It's just the people around us. And we are sort of collateral damage. But then sometimes and oftentimes the Lord protects his people. And and this is where places like the book of Proverbs are really clear. There is a special kind of destruction for the man of folly and for people who live in rampant wickedness. Mm -hmm. I think that's well said. Um, so let's let me just go through. I'm just going to name these, barely describe mm-hmm. them, and just kind of keep going because there's multiple chapters worth of stuff, and we're taking up a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. So the fifth plague, um, the Egyptian livestock gets stricken, uh, and it is the Egyptian livestock this time. Yeah. It's not both. Mm-hmm. They um, they they die, and the sixth plague, 
there's boils, and this one's interesting. He's supposed to take two handfuls of soot from a kiln, throw it into the air in the sight of Pharaohs, and in the sight of Pharaoh, and then boils come over all of the Egyptians. Yeah. Uh, again, the magicians couldn't do this. Um, Pharaoh. Uh, his heart is hardened by the Lord this time in the sixth plague. Mm. And, uh, and so what we see is Pharaoh's heart was hard from the beginning and, and God at this point begins just to perpetuate yeah. it towards a mm-hmm. hardness. Yeah. Um, then the seventh plague, our favorite one to joke about, uh, it's the plague of hail. When that happened, we, we know because I mean, it's just, it's gotta be fact. Pharaoh had to walk out and say, what, Will? He, he had to walk outside and see those clouds rolling in and say, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> every time it gets me. Every time. That's funny. Every time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> every time. And then, Katie, you mentioned a verse a minute ago, and it's in this chapter 9, verse 16. Yes. It's the purpose. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to read it? Yeah, please. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. And that tells us what, Mm -hmm. what is Katie, what is the purpose of the plagues? God showing his power. Yeah. And in chapter eight, verse 22 and 23 says, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. I love those verses just being almost hidden in the chapters yeah. of here's yeah. the purpose of all of this happening. It's so that my name is known. I'm the God of this people and these people are protected. Yeah. So I'm the one that's sovereign. And what we'll see in just a second is that it is much more pronounced. If you understood the context, if you were there, this story is very clear. That's what's happening when we read it though. Um, you're probably at this point, if you're not super familiar with this or thinking gnats, yeah. flies, Seems hail. like God is creatively annoying Pharaoh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there doesn't seem to be much rhyme or reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The eighth plague, the locusts, um, you know, the locusts come, they're going to eat all the remaining stuff that the hail mm-hmm. didn't destroy. Um, you know, then there's the ninth plague. There's going to be darkness on the land for three days mm-hmm. to the point that people can't even leave their house. We're not talking like it's like cloudy. You need like to get your little lamp out. We're talking like you can't see your hand in front of your face kind of darkness. Yeah. But there's mm-hmm. light where the Hebrews live. Mm-hmm. Now that is fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then certainly we get to the probably the most famous plague. It's threatened in Hebrew or in Exodus 11. Um, and it's the plague of the death of the firstborn. We know it most commonly as the Passover. And in fact, this coming Tuesday night is going to be a whole message focused on the Passover. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that is where they had to paint the blood of an innocent lamb over their doorpost. What's interesting in this plague there's a lot interesting. One thing that's interesting in that twelve in that tenth plague in chapter twelve is that some of the Egyptians paint blood over their doorpost too. Mm-hmm. Mm. They had realized at that point. I think I missed that. I that they had realized at that point this this is the hand of God, and we fear this God. So let's so here that's the ten plagues. Now <clears throat> let's just kind of back up real quick. It's so strange. Um, the the water turns to blood, uh, frogs, there's, there's gnats, there's flies, there's boils, 
Um, you know, there's just there's so many things that come along, and what happens is this in our in our context, it's just easy to get creative and say, I guess God was just like annoying them, like you said, Will. So I taught this a few years ago. I was studying from a Jewish commentary, trying to get Mm -hmm. some um, historical insight into things, and I read something fascinating. I read in that commentary that every one of these plagues was a direct attack on an Egyptian god. Mm -hmm. So that got me like all of a sudden... I'm just doors open. Oh, (laughs) I'm like, wait a second. So I start Googling and I start looking and I'm like, it is. Mm -hmm. Every one of these plagues is a direct attack on an Egyptian God. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. So I taught it and then I immediately left. We went to this underground uh, pastor's training thing in an undisclosed location um, on the other side of the globe. Some of these folks had come from uh, a background where they were very familiar with this story. And I said, is it true? Was it? And they said, of course, everybody knows that. <laughs> I said, everybody knows that those plagues were all an attack on Egyptian gods. I was like, well, we didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, like I feel like growing up, it was just in, in kind of like kids' church and Sunday school, it was made so like goofy. Like yeah. you'd see these videos of like cartoon pharaoh, like, Mm-hmm. trying to smack a frog off his face and hitting himself in the forehead and <laughs> mm-hmm. you know like, yeah. and so then as i've kind of grown it has stayed in sort of that like childish state of a story yeah mm-hmm. well well you um you were helping me do a little i'll put some get some slides together yeah. um i was going to draw everything out that's a whole nother story and i ended up not doing it katie got all the supplies for it sorry about that <laughs> but we put these slides together and each slide we had a picture of the egyptian god and the mm-hmm. plague so happy is the god of the nile yeah well that god got destroyed mm. when god yep. turned the water to blood uh, Hecate is the egyptian goddess of fertility and renewal Hecate has the head of a frog mm. god was saying no I control the frogs, not Hecate. Geb, the Egyptian god of the dust. Um, so that that third plague, the gnats, mm-hmm. when he had to strike the dust, God was saying, no, I'm in charge of the dust, not, not Geb. Kefri, the Egyptian god of creation, movement, sun, rebirth, has the head of a fly. And so when the when the flies come out, God's saying, it's not Kefri. Hathor is an Egyptian goddess of love, protection. Yeah. Hathor has the head of a cow. So when the livestock stop, stock starts to die, they can't call on uh, Hathor anymore to come and save. It's God who's doing it. Isis is the Egyptian goddess of medicine and peace. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's where the boils come. Well, God caused the boils. Isis couldn't fix it. Nut, the Egyptian god of uh, of the sky, that's the hail. Um, mm-hmm. Seth, the Egyptian god of storms and uh, and and disorder, that's the locust. Uh, Ra is the Egyptian sun god. God causes darkness to directly defeat and show Ra is not God. Yeah. And then the the greatest of all the Egyptian gods is the Pharaoh. Yeah. That's why when he died, mm-hmm. they'd bury him in those giant pyramids and they'd put all kinds of stuff with them. They'd put their families even in there with them, even if their families weren't dead because they wanted them to be with their family in the afterlife. Like they really worshiped Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the God of life. Mm-hmm. Well, when God takes the firstborn, 
Yeah. It's God who's in charge of life, not mm. Pharaoh. Yeah. Each, I mean, it's fascinating to me. Yeah. Each one of these is God saying, it's not that God, and it's not that God, and it's not that God, and it's not that God, mm-hmm. which makes Exodus chapter 8, the verses you read, Exodus yeah. chapter 9, it makes it so clear. God yeah. is saying, no, no, no. This is so that my name mm-hmm. is glorified, mm-hmm. not the names of one of these other little gods. I think that's, I think that's powerful. What do y'all think? Yeah. I think I might be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure that Ra, the sun god, was kind of like the number two yeah. in command. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't, you know, it might not have gone straight up the ranks, but I have a pretty strong hunch that as the plagues can progress, the power and rank yeah. of the gods sort of progress with it. And certainly with mm-hmm. Ra and then with Pharaoh. And that whole. I mean, to what you just said, like the verses about how God is doing this to make a name for himself and to magnify himself in Egypt. Like when it divorced from understanding this as sort of like a divine battle, Mm -hmm. it it's like, okay, like, you know, this guy seems kind of weird. He's like filling the land with frogs to like make a name for himself. But in the light of what is really going on here, like God is lifting him up, himself up so mightily. Mm-hmm. And it, it really is um, just so remarkable. And, and, and it, it fires me up. And, you know, to yeah. the point where Egyptians were, were just wanting them out of yeah. the land or, or willing to do like paint blood on their door. Mm-hmm. It's so compelling to me. Absolutely. Yeah. I was trying to find the verse that talked about the servants' hearts changing. Oh, yeah. There were oh, yeah, yeah. there were two spots where um, I have them in my notes here. Where is it? Uh, sorry for the void of silence there. Um, Wherever it is. Okay. In Exodus 10, mm. the Egyptians, 10, 7, I believe, the Egyptians start yeah. to realize mm-hmm. that this is the true God. That's when you get to the to the plague of the locust, the eighth plague. Yeah. They're like, hey, this like m- might be the real God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I yeah. think I think that's fascinating. And you can understand also in this why Pharaoh was so adamant. If he really believed, if he had drank the Kool-Aid and really believed he was a God, yeah. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to honor this other God. Yeah. He's the ultimate. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, go ahead. Were you going to, I was just going to say in Exodus nine during the plague of hail, our favorite, that's right. That it's in verse 29 it says, Moses said to him, as soon as I've gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease. There will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's Mm. had that underlined. And I think that's just another one of those verses that in each of these plagues, the Lord is claiming dominion over in this case, the earth. I'm the one that's in control of the earth. It's mine. Um, and that he made it and he's making his name known through each of these plagues. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, that would have been the God Seth Mm -hmm. saying it's not Seth. Exactly. It's Yahweh. Yeah. It's mine. And it's cool that God's name was starting to circulate. 
mm-hmm. at that yeah. point. They started to know who he was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God it, is making a name. And the whole, <laughs> the whole story mm-hmm. really starts to tie together because at the burning bush, what does Moses say? Basically, what God are you? Mm-hmm. And the Lord's like, oh, I'll tell you what God I am. Yeah. I'm the God. Mm-hmm. It's just like, kind of gives me chills. It's really cool. Yeah, and what's it it's cool to me, the, the guy at the helm of this is just poor old Moses with a <laughs> speech impediment or you yeah. know whatever was going on who didn't even want to be there in the first place. And I'm reminded of Paul in first Corinthians, I believe I'm talking about that, you know, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the, that the surpassing power yeah. belongs to God. Yeah. Second Corinthians four or second yeah. Corinthians. Yeah. 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 And like, God did not choose the best candidate for prophet mm-hmm. or mouthpiece, but he chose this ragtag separated at birth team of brothers, but he is doing the work. He is spreading yeah. his name. Sorry. All mm-hmm. they're doing is throwing dust, you know, yeah. or yeah. striking. The Lord the is doing all the yeah, work. They're, the they're the mouthpiece. They're being yeah. obedient, but it's yeah. God. God's showing off here. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, so to to kind of round this out to application and uh, and Phil, please add in what you want to add in. But I did ask some of our young adults, give me ten idols, give me mm-hmm. ten gods. Yeah. And they said, well, and this is for our group. And they said, well, work is definitely one. Comfort, relationship, sex, mm-hmm. hooking up. Um, fourth one would be like self, my narrative, you know, approval. The fifth could be politics. The sixth could be partying, drinking, going out. Yeah. Um, seventh could be marriage. Um, the eighth could be money. The ninth, power, title, success. The tenth, materialism. Mm-hmm. I think those are all modern gods that we have in our in yeah. our very first world yeah. culture. Mm-hmm. My question is, do you think the Lord, if these are gods, we don't have fancy Egyptian names for them, but if mm-hmm. they were gods, mm-hmm. do you think that the Lord can still send a plague into someone's mm-hmm. life to show that that is not God, but that he is God. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Do you have any? Yeah. I just think of just the concept of testing of your faith is yeah. also tied in there. And I immediately jumped to James one where those plagues in the sense that God may send into your life to challenge those small idols that have crept into your heart, we should be grateful for those Mm. and count it as joy when we meet those trials and that testing of our faith, because it does lead to endurance. Um, and just knowing who the true God is and that those little idols aren't ultimate and will never satisfy. Uh, No, I, I think that's really, really wise and encouraging. That reminds me of Hebrews 12, where it says Mm. the Lord disciplines those he loves. Yes. Yeah. I think that's important for us to remember because, for, for instance, the first yeah. one on this list is work. If I really value my work and I really I give excuses of why I work so hard or so much or why I value it so much, and I like, but it's really become a, a, a little god in my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then if my work starts to blow up, it's easy for me to miss that it could be the hand of God causing my work to blow yeah. up. So I pray harder yeah. about my work, and you know, I'm, I'm I even put more attention on it, mm-hmm. and in a sense. I kind of get a Pharaoh type heart. It becomes yeah. a little more hardened. Yeah. Then I get mad at God for why are you messing up my work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so important to me. 
You gave me this job. You did this Mm -hmm. thing. And in reality, very well could be the Lord saying, I'm showing you. Yeah. Your work yeah. is not God, but you're mm-hmm. treating it like God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so good. I think another thing in this story that's cool to read is what isn't really there, like reading the subtext. At the beginning of this, the Israelites tell Moses and Aaron, please go away. We don't want anything to do with this. You're making our life worse. And then, you know, as we saw, the first few plagues do affect everybody. That's right. And it would have sucked for everybody. Yeah. And as it progresses, however, God's favor is shown towards his people. And at the end, you have an entire nation that is ready to go out into the wilderness. And so I think, you know, kind of what we were talking about earlier, we live in a land of brokenness. We live in close proximity to sin. And and at all times we live in Egypt so to speak. And there are going to be plagues that mm-hmm. are n- the result of the land we're living in. And I think there's a call for discernment of, is this a plague? Yeah. Y- you know, is the Lord calling something out against me or is this a consequence of the world I'm living in? And, and is the, is there something I have to repent of? Or is, do I just need to be faithful That's right. and plug mm-hmm. away? And, you know, I, I just think what's so cool here is the Lord makes himself great. He makes a name for himself into one people group that is terrible and it is a nightmare. And to another people group seeing the same things, that is deliverance and joy. And that's a good word. That is, mm-hmm. you know, Christ comes and he brings separation. He brings, he separates the sheep and the goats. And so as you look on the plagues that surround you and as I I do and as we do, where when God makes himself known, how are we responding? Yeah, that's so good. I also think sort of jumping off of that, when we do see a plague happening in our lives, are we still counting on the promises of Okay, God Mm. is using this for his glory and Mm -hmm. to make his name known. He's working all things together for his glory, for my good. As his daughter, his son, am I trusting that? Mm -hmm. And am I going to continue to be faithful in that plague, just knowing that that is true? Amen. Mm -hmm. And just believing in it and resting in it. Yeah, totally. Well, as, as we kind of start to land the plane here, um, there's, there's so much, you know, when you cover eight or nine chapters of scripture in mm. a half an hour or so, like there's, you're obviously going to miss some things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would encourage you to go back and read and look through mm-hmm. like with a, you know, with a, a magnifying lens, what, what's in here. Mm-hmm. I think you might just be surprised at what jumps yeah. off the page. Yeah. And mm-hmm. now that you understand a little bit of the context and the history, it makes even more sense. Mm-hmm. But if I'm in that spot where maybe God is trying to pry my hands off some things. Yeah. Yeah. And I do realize I do have some, some little gods in my life. Mm-hmm. I need to remember that he only disciplines those he loves. Amen. Yeah. And he must love me. It must be yeah. for, for his glory and my good, good mm-hmm. that he's, he's prying my little fingers off 
those things that I'm holding on to that are really going to hurt me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I just think about what Paul said um, about Jesus in Philippians three. Mm-hmm. He said in Philippians three seven, um, but whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, mm-hmm. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing. Christ Jesus, my Lord. And for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may be, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I love that Paul says, because Paul had a lot of little idols mm-hmm. in his life, his mm-hmm. success, his intelligence, um, his, uh, his schooling. He had a lot of yeah. different little idols. And he says now when he looks back on them, mm-hmm. he counts them all as mm-hmm. rubbish. Yeah. And that word, I always go back to this, that word means excrement. Like it's, yeah. it's a graphic term. Mm-hmm. He said, that's how I view yeah. the mm-hmm. things I used to hold as trophies. Yeah. And that to me is just a sweet reminder of no little God compares to Jesus, mm. compares to knowing Jesus, mm. walking with Jesus, yeah. experiencing Jesus. Mm. It is for my good and his glory mm. if he's prying my hand off any of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see you flipping through your Bible there. You got something? Oh, I was just thinking John, in the book of John, I was trying to find it. But knowing that Jesus is the bread of life yeah. and that is where we should be feasting and where we should be getting our you know daily bread and our daily sustenance it's not in these little idols that the world is telling us will satisfy us and will give us life but it's jesus as the bread of life that's right that is absolutely right nothing else will satisfy us nothing else will fill us it is christ well, I encourage you to go and to read these on your own. There's so many applications in this story and so much glory of God in this story mm-hmm. and raw and honest emotion in the story that yeah. is very, very easy for us humans to, to understand. Mm-hmm. And yet we still see the consistency and purpose and goodness of God in getting his yes. people out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Well, glad to have you on. Katie, this is fun. I'm excited for uh, for this coming week looking at the Passover. All right. We'll see you Tuesday night.